0: Check, two? Oh, we're good to go. At my church, it's a much smaller church, and we're in the middle of the desert, and uh, we normally just yell. We don't use microphones out there. So it is a blessing to be able to use electronics this morning. Amen. Let us go to the Lord in prayer and ask Him for help this morning. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. We love you. We are so fortunate to be able to come before you and worship you together. Heavenly Father, I just ask that you will be with the preacher this morning. Help my words to be your words, Lord. We ask that you will just, the word of, your word will fall on your people. Open the ears, open the hearts, the eyes of your children, Lord. We just ask that all things that we do today will bring glory to your name and to you and you alone. Father, again, Lord, we thank you for allowing us to gather. We ask all of these things in your son's mighty and precious name. Amen. 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 Well, again, as uh, Brother Rolo had said, it it has been a quick five. I guess five, six months since the beginning of the internship program and I personally want to just thank each and every one of you for allowing me to be part of this internship. I want to thank the brothers, Brother Rolo and um, Ed and Corey and Vlad and each and every person in here. I know at the beginning of it, uh, it was a little different because, well, who's this guy that is showing up every now and then and And why is he here, and why are we investing our time, and why, and why, right? Um, I had the same questions for Brother Rolo, and I said, Brother, why would you even allow me to be part of that program? He said, Brother, because we love you, because kingdom work. And that was all I needed to hear. And um, and, in such a a true, true, and dear brother. I appreciate you guys so much, and just the amount of... um, things that I have learned within this internship I could never explain. Um, Well, at least not today anyways. So um, again, our passage today, uh, one other, two other people I want to absolutely thank as well, um, and that is Brother Marty and Sister Sheila Gillespie. I've known them since I was about nine years old, I suppose. And a lot of people had asked me, Wow, you're driving back and forth all the way to Kingman um, during this program. And I said, No, I'm staying at Brother Marty and Sister Sheila's. And they said, Oh, okay. And I had told uh, Sheila how much I was going to be staying at their home. And I said, I don't necessarily want to receive mail. But I do want to uh, stay there, if that's okay. I said, but if it's too much, I said, I'll stay somewhere else. She said, if you stay anywhere else, I'll never speak to you again. (laughs) So I I took that literally, and we've been there. So thank you guys so, so very much. You've been a tremendous blessing as well to myself, my wife, my two children as well. Um, So getting right into our passage, yeah, our... The topic today is that of Christian liberty, our Christian liberty. And the key passage, we're not necessarily going to be in it the whole time, but I do look at it as the overarching theme and the overarching, um, I guess, point of the entire passage. Why? Not only just for today, but in each and everything we do. And that is 1 Corinthians 10.31. And that's what our time this morning is going to be pointed and directed towards. So, and it says, as Brother Vladimir had read, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now, as we know, that applies to much more and many, many different things than even just our Christian liberty, right? So there's no denying that Christian liberty has been a or has gotten a bad rap and has been a point of contention I guess we could say since since the dawning of time since the beginning of time if we um, look all the way back to the beginning you do this you can't do that we can't do this and well you're wrong I'm wrong I'm more spiritual you're more spiritual right we've seen this all throughout scripture Um, that is the topic that I've been assigned this morning, and and I say topic, I know that normally the diet here at uh, First Baptist Church of the Lakes is that of an expositional uh, message, and I would agree with that 100%. However, um, sometimes a topical message can be beneficial can absolutely be necessary and I don't just say that because I'm going to be preaching one this morning okay it's uh it's, sometimes it absolutely is um necessary of things that we that need to be addressed or we need to look at right so again however it is topical we do still have a, a duty and a responsibility to remain not only contextual but also faithful to God's word amen and um we are so that's going that's our prayer today that we will get a great understanding of our christian liberty but also remain faithful in, in through scripture as well. So again the main point we're going I'm going to be looking at three different points here but the main point of the message today is in all that we do it must bring god honor and God glory, and I added a last part to that, and we would all agree, and we would all understand this as well, it must be done in love, right? So there's going to be three points, law and liberty, the abuse of liberty, and love and liberty. Now, I believe most of our time will be spent here in the first two points, but... um, what well, we'll see how it goes there. I want to. You don't necessarily have to turn with me, but I want to take a look back to Galatians, to the churches there in, <coughs> excuse me, Galatia. And I want to look at all that was going on there, just kind of a backstory and the theme of Galatians as well. And what what I want to do is we're going to take a look at two almost complete opposite ends of the spectrum when it comes to our Christian liberty, right? So if we look at law and liberty, Paul's entire epistle to that of the Galatian church is a defense of our Christian liberty. The entire, because liberty is the necessary corollary to the doctrine of justification by faith. Let me say that again. Liberty is the necessary corollary to the doctrine of justification by faith, which we would all agree is the very heart of the gospel message. So the doctrine of justification by faith in Galatia was under attack by some very determined false teachers in the Galatian churches. And Paul was waging war against their legalism in Galatia. So there was a very powerful affirmation and running theme of Christian liberty running throughout the book of Galatians. But both the gospel and the law agree about one very important truth. And hear me here, that salvation is not something any sinner could ever earn or deserve. We are unable to earn a place in heaven by any amount of our own good works, any amount of our own legal obedience, any amount of religious ceremony or works of charity. And I know many of you are going, okay, brother, when... Do we start talking about our Christian liberty? What's going on? What? You mentioned it, but we haven't gotten there. We will get there, but I do want us to understand where our liberty comes from and that. So we'll continue on, but just bear with me. Our attempts to earn favor with God are useless because even our, quote unquote, very best things that we do are riddled with flaws and are worthless in the eyes of God of a perfect and holy God and we say ouch that hurts I tried really hard right everything we do is tainted with guilt because we have sinned we are already guilty one sin one thought we're already guilty of it we can't meet the standard of perfection that God requires in fact even our best efforts are corrupted due to wrong motives pride, self-righteousness, and this list goes on and on and on. I'll tell you a quick story. I was just having a conversation with one of the ladies in the church there in Golden Valley, and <clears throat> excuse me, we're our church and, and some of the men have gotten together, and we are helping a couple build their um, a, a small house on some property, property that they had bought, and we have come together and helped with the Every bit of it from the ground up from from beginning to end, and we're still in the process of that, but we do have a young man in our church he's only he just turned sixteen years old, but what he had done is he has been saving up his money for this new gaming system and he's saved up uh, roughly i want to say about six hundred dollars for this gaming system but what it, he's there almost every day helping with this building project for these folks in our church and what he had what he had done is he's there almost every day helping and he noticed well i'm tired of borrowing tools i'm tired of you, using other people's stuff. And if you've ever worked in the, construct and in the construction industry, you can understand that. I don't want to lend my tools out every time. So the young boy decided, I'm gonna take some of my money and I'm going to buy myself some tools. So he went and he bought himself roughly $160 worth of tools using that gaming system money. And he bought it specifically so he can continue helping with this house. So that was commendable, right? But then he noticed, okay, I got into my money a little bit. Well, I'm going to buy my mother a gift. So he bought his mother a gift, his father a gift, his brothers and sisters. He then bought dinner for the family. They have a family of seven, five kids and, and two adults there. And But what he wanted to do is, okay, I'll buy the family dinner. And then he bought the family breakfast. And again, all of these those things, very commendable actions that we would say, wow, that's, amazing because in my mind I had heard about him spending the money I was thinking we can help this young boy out and maybe we'll help him get his money back for the um, for the gaming system and so what had happened though is not long after his mother said okay I need you to take out the trash I need you to go out and feed the animals And, and, and immediately the boy said whoa 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 mom wait a minute don't forget I bought you that dinner and she quickly said wait a minute he said well I also bought you that gift and she well you could take that gift back so all too quickly even though it was commendable his motives in the or or his gesture in the beginning after going a little bit deeper we begin to see his motives this will get me out of this this will get me out of that right so again we're already guilty (coughs) again in fact, even our best efforts are corrupted due to our wrong motives. So no matter who you are or where you come from, no matter your race, your heritage, your background, whether you've been brought up in church your entire life or you've been raised on the streets, <clears throat> Scripture says that at your very best, you are still a sinner who falls not just short, but far short of the glory of God we can take Isaiah 6 one of my favorite chapters in all of scripture as a great example of this and I often refer back to this anytime I start getting too much into my flesh and too much start to start to thinking that I'm a little better than I thought I was to go straight back to Isaiah 6 and it's a great example and we don't have to read the entire thing but we remember what Isaiah says woe is me I am undone. And the translation of this is almost the same of a sweater or a garment just completely unraveling. I am undone. For I am a man of unclean lips, living amongst men with unclean lips. Isaiah 64.6 says, We are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags romans three ten. as it is written none is righteous no not one god's righteousness is so much higher than ours that by our own good works and efforts at spiritual self-reform we could never i repeat never rise from the fallen and condemned position to earn a right standing before god Christ says in Matthew 5 20, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Now the Pharisees, as we know, were the most scrupulous and most meticulous legalist who had ever walked the planet. They were constantly attentive to the smallest Detail, the most precise and most trivial detail of the law. So much so that they missed the law's larger picture or larger message. Still, on the outside, they were by far the most disciplined religious order that ever tried to follow the law of Moses. But Jesus said that you would have to attain a righteousness even greater than theirs in order to. To enter heaven. So, just how perfect would we have to be in order to earn redemption? Scripture teaches close isn't good enough, simply, not enough. In the final verse of that same chapter, Matthew 5, the final verse, Jesus broke it down in a way that everybody should be able to understand. He didn't say it in a parable. He didn't say it in a flowery way. He was cut and dry with his approach. Christ said, you therefore must be, what? Perfect. As your heavenly Father is perfect. Now again, with... Just those words alone, it should be self-evident that it is a moral impossibility for anyone who has already sinned once, thought, action, deed, to attain, it's impossible for anyone who has already sinned to attain that level of perfection. And since Romans 3.23 3, 23 says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, it would seem that we are all in that hopeless condition, right? That's exactly right. And left to ourselves, we would have absolutely no hope of salvation, but God didn't leave us to ourselves. Amen. Brother, I'm going to get really close to your, message, to your teaching this morning. I kept turning to my wife. He's getting in my message. He's getting on my message. But amen. God's plan is perfect. God didn't leave us to ourselves. He sent his son who died to pay the full price of our guilt. And what's more, Jesus obeyed the law perfectly without breaking even the smallest detail of any commandment whatsoever. 1 Peter 2.22 says, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Hebrews 4.15, In every respect he was tempted, as we are yet without sin. Hebrews 7.26 says, After an entire lifetime under the law, Jesus was declared to be holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and hear me here, exalted above the heavens. Even in his full humanity, he was sinless, he was perfectly righteous. And his perfect righteousness, here's where it is, is imputed to all who believe. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So in the same way our guilt was imputed to him so that he could pay its price in full, his righteousness is then imputed to those who would believe and are united with him by faith. Amen. And that's the only way, let me say it again, that's the only way that you can get the perfect righteousness that is required if you want to see the kingdom of God. That's the only way. So the issue here is that the Galatian churches, there was false teaching going on involving extreme legalism, Moses' law, circumcision, etc. And the church was going along with it. This is the point. And Paul, and what the church was saying basically is, well, Paul said one thing, but if you're saying these things are the other things that we need to do, then I don't know, I guess, I suppose, what would it hurt? We should go ahead and do it, right? And we know that Paul had to address Peter to his face and confront him in Galatia. And the law in its entirety has already been paid on our behalf. We are freed from the law's threat of eternal condemnation. We no longer need to observe these old rituals. We have been freed from the yoke of all of the ceremonial commandments and symbols. Colossians two sixteen and 17, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink or with regard to festival or new moon or Sabbath. He's talking about the ritual and symbolic, <coughs> excuse me, elements of the law. And he said, these are a shadow of the things to come. It belongs to Jesus Christ. Amen. However, the moral lessons within the law, hear me here, still reveal what righteousness entails. It is still sin to blaspheme. It's still sin to lie or to murder or to dishonor your parents. When Scripture says again that we are not under the law but under grace, it does not mean that we are relieved of all moral duty. But it does mean that we've been delivered out from under the sentence of condemnation and removed from the bondage of the laws threats and judgments and punishments the Christian life is a life of forgiveness and liberty the exact opposite of life under the law the curse of the law the ceremonies of the law and the final condemnation of the law have been removed by Christ Romans 7 4, we have died to the law through the body of Christ. Romans 6, Paul says, you're not under the law, but under grace. Again, he's not saying, therefore you can ignore the moral principles of the law. His point is the exact opposite. It's about freedom from sin, not merely emancipation from the law. The whole verse says, sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. And just a few verses later says, Having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. So liberty involves those two aspects. Freedom from the yoke of the law and freedom from the bondage of sin. In Galatians 5.1, Paul says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to yoke of slavery. Now, Paul has both aspects of liberty in mind. He said, don't go back under the law. That's the sin of legalism. And don't retreat into the bondage of sin. That's the error of licentiousness. The command, stand firm, is military language. It implies that Christian liberty is something that must be guarded. Stand fast in it. Fight for it if necessary. Don't let anyone or anything rob you of your freedom in Christ. Don't be in bondage to the law. And again, don't be in captivity to sin. Again, this was the entire theme of Galatians. Paul was writing to a group of churches that were threatened by the error of the Judaizers. And his emphasis was on urging them to defend their liberty. So I always like to start my messages with an introduction. So there it was. Now we're going to get into the message. Second point Abuse of liberty. Our abuse of liberty and where we see this. And we're just going to somewhat look at 1 Corinthians 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. I appreciate these brothers. I asked Brother Rolo how long I've got, and he said, You've got as long as you need. So I appreciate you all settling in for a good two and a half hour message. If we need to, we can take an intermission, but we'll see how it goes. The abuse of liberty. Paul's addressing here in 1 Corinthians a complete different set of problems. So what we've seen in Galatia is legalism, all of these different things that he's speaking to in the, in the case of the law, right? Now, we are, most of us are familiar with 1 Corinthians and we'll brush through it, but it's a totally different, the, top, the opposite end of the spectrum, if you will. They were completely abusing the concept of Christian liberty, the, the the complete opposite. They had taken the idea of liberty to such an extreme that their worship services had become utterly chaotic. People were getting drunk on the communion wine. They were competing with one another to see who could manifest the most spectacular spiritual gift. They would try to out excuse me outdo each other in speaking in tongues and prophesying and praying aloud until their meetings had become a chaos of noise and confusion they were bringing lawsuits against one another before secular worldly judges we've heard of all of this every single day right often we hear of much of this they had split up into little well early d groups if you will they had split up into small groups and claiming to be followers of paul and followers of apollos and followers of cephas and the super spirituals said, well we follow jesus right but even that was wrong what they were trying to say right could you imagine we we have d groups and and i do also think this church as well uh, for the d groups that we have in our church it's been a beautiful growth and a hunger for the word and a hunger for knowledge and Of course, hunger for food, like Brother Rolo said. We do get a lot of people in there with some great food, but they're getting a real, true hunger for the Word. But could you imagine, I follow Brother Rolo. I follow Brother Ed. I follow Brother Vlad. Brother Corey. Well, we just simply follow Jesus Christ, right? And what you were seeing there is these groups couldn't get along with one another in the same body. We also had the man engaged in an incestuous affair with his father's wife. And they tolerated it. And not only did the church tolerate it, but they were also proud of it. 1 Corinthians 5.2, Paul says, You are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. So he's speaking to the believer there. So, I mean, we have to think about a little, little too much, but he's speaking to the man, remove him. doesn't say to remove her, remove him. So that's also advocating for church discipline as well, right? The Corinthian believers were congratulating one another for their tolerance and their diversity. They had taken the idea of liberty to a ridiculous extreme, and were abusing it. They had turning the grace of our God into licentiousness. So Paul spends several chapters in that epistle discussing Christian liberty and its implications. So Paul does this in the context of a question that he must have received likely from a courier and It it makes you think a little bit, as as you listen to Paul's address of many of these these questions that he's answering within the epistle, you can almost see what the letter must have looked like from Corinth to him, and I believe it could have sounded something like, Brother Paul, we're having a major dispute here, could you please help clear this up for us? Your last letter was pretty harsh, so we're going to get rid of it. I don't know, or I know that we've been coming to you with a lot lately, Brother Paul, but we just have a quick question. So if you could shed some light on this issue, I appreciate it. Thank you very much, the Church of Corinth. Now, during this time, the Greeks and the Romans were polytheistic, but they were also polydemonistic, right? So they believed that evil spirits would try to invade humans through by or excuse me by attaching themselves to the food before it was eaten they believed that the spirits could be removed only by foods being sacrificed to a god so this was the issue this is the question they had brought up before paul is it okay we're having some issues here in the church is it okay for us to eat the food sacrificed to the idols or is it not we've got two different groups we got one saying it is we got one saying that it's not right now, the issue of eating meat sacrificed to idols to us, for most of us that have been born and raised here, this is a foreign concept to us, right? <clears throat> But for some of us, we have, we, we're familiar with this. Where my wife comes from, she said, she's told me that they do still set, put food outside and sacrifice certain things outside their house to be sacrificed to the dark spirits so that that way it almost keeps the, the spirit from entering into the house. So it's sacrificed outside the home, so therefore it's taken care of there. Here we offer this up to you. Please leave us alone, right? That's the idea behind it. But here, we don't see too much of that. Now, during the time of this epistle, there was much worship of false gods and idols and many idolic temples and temple restaurants and meat markets. They would take and they would divide the food up and they would give part of it to the worshiper. They would give part of it to the sacrifice and they would give the last part of the meat to that of the priest. And the priest had the opportunity to do whatever he wanted with the meat. Now, if you can imagine, even within this room, if all of us were offering portion of our food, that priest would end up with a ton of meat at the end of the day, right? So that priest was able to do whatever he wanted to it. Keep it, store it, sell it at the meat market, give it away, or whatnot. So this was the issue during the time, whether they should eat this meat or not. Is it wrong for a Christian to eat the meat that was associated to idol worship? That was the problem. And they're saying, no, it's not wrong. Basically, you can offer it up to this chair. Right? It's the exact same thing. They're saying, no, I just worshipped that chair last week. And that chair to me was a real thing a week ago. Right? So the issue here is, is that both sides were right. Both sides were right in a sense that it's okay. It's nothing to be sacrificed right you eat the meat the old meat sold at the temple was much cheaper you got it a lot cheaper and it was probably quality cuts of meat and just back then as much as today we all like a bargain right but the specific example here is given to help us think through how our beliefs and our act our actions might impact others and help us to pursue love for one another in sometimes laying down those freedoms. Now, we get this, this knowledge. We understand that the one side was wrong in the sense of the way that they were treating the other brothers and all of the liberties that they were abusing within the church and all the things that we had seen and who was more spiritual and who was less spiritual, right? And then he says that love puffs up, right? And knowledge, excuse me, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Which brings us to our final point, love and liberty. Love and liberty. So if we look at this, we see this exact same idea with that of drinking, with that of alcohol, right? Scripture doesn't teach that it, you cannot drink a beer. Scripture doesn't teach that you cannot have a glass of wine with your meal. My wife and I's... Um, what's it called, babe? I can't remember. Well, anniversary. There we go. Sorry. <coughs> I remember when it is. I just don't remember what it's called. <coughs> well, so our anniversary, if her and I were to decide to go out and grab a nice dinner and decide to have a glass of red wine with that for her and I to enjoy ourselves, we'll do it to the glory of God. There's nothing wrong with that. And what does it mean by doing it to the glory of God? By doing it the exact way He has said to do it. Amen? So, when that becomes an issue for my wife and I is if we go out to a nice prime rib dinner, a nice lobster tail dinner, but the plate stays full, but the glasses stay empty. Does this make sense? If I keep ordering more glasses, that's when that becomes a problem. Because now I'm going against what God's commanded. God, or God's word absolutely speaks of being drunk. It absolutely speaks of being mastered by things. It absolutely just spoke of being a slave to sin. So no, I don't see an issue where if we decide to have a beer with our meal or a, or a glass of wine sitting down together. I'm reminded also of a story of R. C. Sproul had told that R.C. Sproul had told. And he said that he... One time went out to group with, or excuse me, went out to lunch with a group of people, and they sat down at the table, and the waitress came up and said, Can I get you in, start you off with anything to drink? And the lady immediately jumped up and jumped in the face of the waitress and said, No, 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 no. We don't drink, we're Christians. And R. C. Sproul said it took everything within him not to order a double scotch on the rocks. <laughs> Why? Because Scripture doesn't speak to that, right? But what else did that do that just not only completely made the waitress feel horrible, like, what did I do wrong? I didn't even know, right? But also now it bore false witness for everybody else at the table and for God's Word, right? We want to be faithful to Scripture. Where we live, we are in Golden Valley, and if you know anything about rocks, and that's where we live is in a, a bunch of them. But if you go from here and head towards Kingman, Arizona or Phoenix, Arizona, a lot of people don't even know about Kingman, but if you're heading that way, um, and then if you look on the right-hand side, you'll see a small little town. That's Golden Valley, Arizona, and that's the place where you people have been praying for our church and praise God for you. And so we're right there, but and we're much like you in the sense that we do have casinos nearby. We're just a much smaller version of it. So in that area, right up over the hill, if you keep heading west, there is we have Laughlin. And many of our folks work or go there. So we get a lot of people within the church that come to us, and they'll say, Oh, I went to a show, and I went and did this, and I went. Well, as soon as the pastor asks, Oh, where'd you go? see that show or we went to a great dinner and as soon as the pastor said oh that sounds awesome where'd you go they don't want to say that they were in a casino right why they feel some kind of guilt by that now I don't even have a problem if you want to go in and grab a meal the thing is though for me for me as a pastor of the church Real quick, if, I, if somebody sees me coming out of one of those casinos, real quick. It, when I lived in Hawaii, we used to call it the coconut wireless. And real quick, that spreads. Oh, I saw the pastor. He was up 100 bucks, And he was in there, and he was at the, the blackjack table, right? So we also want to remember Scripture says keep the appearances of all evil, right? So <clears throat> with that being said, my wife and I choose not to drink. Why? Out of love for not only one another, but for all of the other brothers and sisters. If I come out of the store with a 12-pack of beer, first off, they're going to say, why well, you need 12 of them? Right? Don't they sell them one at a time, brother? <laughs> I don't know. <clears throat> but if I come out of the store this way, immediately that starts to happen. And again, not, and, and I don't like to just say for me as a pastor, for any of us. We have to be mindful of that, that, the, the way that can look. But again, it still doesn't mean that we're wrong within that. So we don't want to be slaves to the law, but we also don't want to fall back into sin, right? So just as, as brother, uh, brother Ed was saying this morning, and I was really digging deep at the wife, but we need to be aware... Of each other's stumbling blocks we need to be aware of each other's stumbling blocks which are ways that people can be led back into a destructive sin within their life this only happens when and and this is where we got this only happens when we are humble when we care about other people's lives and we are in deep community with our local body And this is what we see. This is the beauty of this church and the beauty of things going, this is happening here. This is what I've seen in my time, just my short time being here. I've sat in these D groups and we have shared sin. We have shared our issues Together. I've sat with the brothers, the pastors of this church, and we have talked about sin and we have talked about issues and our struggles within our lives and in marriage and just the pastoral ministry as it is. I've sat with Brother Marty and Sister Sheila and we have talked about real truth issues. They know much more about me than they did when this thing started, and I know much more about them. Same with the brothers here, right? And why? Because we care because we love one another and I sit in these d-groups and I see when we get separated and we say what what's going on in your lives what can we do for you how can we pray for you and get everybody involved in that right but like we it, it is hard it's a difficult step to get over our pride gets involved well I don't want them to know all about me right But the truth is, if you genuinely love and you genuinely care for the brothers and sisters of the body of Christ, then that's all you're going to be looking out for. It doesn't become judgment at that point, right? So we do need to understand each other's stumbling blocks. And for the Corinthians, the weak are offended or led to stumble because of their former association with idols. We know that theologically speaking, that What we eat will neither commend us to God or disqualify us, which is their core issue here. It's the core issue. 1 Corinthians 13.2 says, If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, But I have not love, I am nothing. I am nothing. None of it matters without love. Our liberties don't matter without love. The only liberty that matters is the the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross for us and removed that condemnation from us. Amen? Amen. But the fact that you can have a glass of beer or a glass of wine with your meal means absolutely nothing if it means that you are not loving your neighbor. If it means... Now, again, I say these things, but but I definitely wouldn't recommend having brews and pews, right? This goes on. It happens often. We don't need to... I'm not saying we need to be secret about what we're doing. And if you're being secret about it, you're probably doing it not to the glory of God. But we don't need to advertise either, right? The point Paul is making here is that what could be a freedom to you or to me can absolutely be a struggle to somebody else. This doesn't mean that we are fully bound. Hear me here. This doesn't mean that we are fully bound to everyone else's conscience. But it does mean that we put into practice what verse 9 says. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Most importantly, let us remember the one who took the cross for us and became sin for us and did so because of his love for those whom the Father had given him. Christ could have said, Me? No. I'm not going to do it. I'm well above these people. I've lived the law perfectly. Right? This is what we've seen going on in the church here in Corinth. They need to get thick skin like me. Christ is our example of true love. And Romans 5.8 explains it perfectly. But God shows his love for us in that why we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ is perfect. He knew no, knew no sin. And yet he took our sin and nailed it to the tree and took our place. And took the punishment and the wrath that I completely deserve so that my debt would be paid and I would then earn that righteousness, that righteousness that God requires. Amen. Brothers and sisters, I know that this was a different way around to get to the point of Christian liberty, but I definitely wanted to show the fact of the law and the abuse of the liberty but most importantly, love. Love covers a multitude of sins. Amen? Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Your truth. Heavenly Father, I just ask that if there are any here today that don't know You, Father, I know there are people that will sit here to the rest of tomorrow Praying and walking through these truths. Father, we ask that, we, that you will help us to remain faithful to your word. Help us to remain faithful in all that we do. Father, Psalm 115, Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to you and you only be the glory. Now, Father, we ask that you will be with us the rest of this day. For we love you and we praise you We ask all these things in your Son's mighty and holy name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.